0: Hello, everybody. Today you have Jake and Seth, and we are going to be discussing the 2021 blockbuster Dune, directed by Dennis Villanueva. And I apologize if I did not pronounce that correctly. Screenplay by John Spates, Dennis Villanueva, and Eric Roth. Just saying that because those are some heavyweights. Based on the Dune novel, a remake of the Lynch 80s film. And it is starring Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson. Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stalin Skarsgård, and Dave Bautista, and Zendaya. I'll leave it there. There's oh, Jason Momoa or Javier Bardem. There's a ton of actors, and then there's even a ton of other actors who you'll recognize, whose names you, you might not know, but who you'll recognize. Right. Um, it's just an incredible, incredible cast. And I, I actually know I said remake, and Seth kind of gave me a look. It's not a remake of Lynch's. It's a, <laughs> a, a adaptation of the, the novel, I should say. Right. Yeah, that's what I would call um, that, 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 like that, even, yeah. even Lynch's movie you know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen this documentary I think it's called Watarowski's Dune but there was a whole incarnation of this
1: of the Dune adaptation that was supposed to be this like four to five hour epic movie that this guy Watarowski was trying to get off the ground it never did a lot of the art and, and like um, uh, production value of that original concept ended up going into movies like Aliens and The Thing and uh, a lot of that kind of stuff got but so it's kind of like this legendary script that was passed around Hollywood, I think in the late seventies when they were kind of post star Wars and they they were trying to do Dune as like another big sci-fi epic, but that never really got off the ground and it ended up turning into the David Lynch movie, which is kind of one of these cult movies I want to say at this point where it's almost incomprehensible to watch, but there's always something strange going on in the movie and it's kind of entertaining for other reasons other than the story. Um, this adaptation, um, was definitely a more followable movie is what I would want to say. And, um, <laughs> I, I found the the epicness um, and kind of like the, the production value to be pretty amazing. You know, I, I thought the the cinematography and just kind of the production of it was was, uh, was probably the best part
0: of the movie for me. I so, agree, and I don't mean to cut you off, but can we just actually i'll let you keep going i just want to come back to that because that was like the biggest differentiator for me number one was when i saw the lynch's dune and when i saw it when i was younger i kind of gave it a pass because oh it's in the 80s but it came after all the star wars the technology was out there and it, it just and apparently there's a ton of studio interference it sounds like it was a case where they promised him one budget gave him another and a lot of things suffered i don't know exactly i saw the i saw that uh that documentary you mentioned, but I had, I didn't really know much about it. So like, I remember seeing it, but I don't remember much other than the cool visuals and that it was just like a development hell. But the thing that blew my mind was, and I've seen this film twice and the first time I liked it and the second time I was a little worried about the first half cause we'll get into the story, but the visuals are so great. And I actually found myself like even scenes where I found myself finding different visuals and scenes, especially like the, with the bullfighting that was something that was kind of lost on me. there's a ton of imagery outside of that initial conversation and i just had a much greater appreciation for for that uh, in terms of we talk about it with some other directors kubrick does it best but like telling a story within a story with some of the visuals like within the background and i was just blown away by that and the other thing that blew me away by it, not only the production value and the amount of like technology and fights and there's a good amount of action in this too This film was made for 165 million, and the Suicide Squad film we've talked about was made for 200. Like this film looked like it should be 250 million. I was blown away when it was only 165. Yeah, I was gonna say it looks like a 300 million dollar movie. Just some of the shots
1: and some of the some of the production. I mean, the the amount of characters on screen at certain point. I don't know how much CGI was involved. Some of the shots actually did kind of look to me more like some old school, like, model type of stuff. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm sure there's a combination of techniques that were used, but I agree that the biggest differentiator between this and the David Lynch Dune is just kind of the technology and just kind of the, the value of the visuals, I thought. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the storytelling, I, I wasn't sure. I, I've attempted to read Dune, I think, once or twice. I've never actually gotten much further past than, like, the first hundred pages. And so I don't know if I'm just personally like, not as enthralled with the actual story of Dune as others might be. There were all kinds of details. I, I mean, my brother kind of filled me in on things that, that like, aren't, you know... I, I give the movie credit. I, I felt like they tried to do exposition in the in the best areas or the most valuable areas they could, but there's other things that exposition-wise they kind of leave out. You know, there's things like in this world um, you know, humans have already defeated and outlawed uh, artificial intelligence, and so... That's why there's no, like, AI stuff. They've also, there's no, like, guns. And, and I was kind of confused as why, like, hey, this is a really technical, logically, like, advanced society. Why is everyone using knives? And then my brother was telling me, like, oh, it's, you know, they have these shields, so no one can shoot anyone. And the, really, the only way you can kind of kill somebody is to use, like, a knife or, like, something where you can penetrate those shields. And I was like, oh, like, I didn't understand that from the movie. And so there were things where they do give you exposition to try to kind of fill you in on stuff. But there are other things where... I felt like if you hadn't read the book or, or kind of had some background on Dune, you wouldn't really know
0: what was going on. Or like, why, why was no one using guns in this movie? You know, it was, those were things that didn't bother me like during the film. Like I didn't realize what I didn't know, but that was one of right. the things as I, after I saw it and after seeing them both times, I did watch some videos. I, I read more and Wikipedia, did a little research. Um, and yeah, it, it Couldn't agree more. I just thought, like, it was, like, they just did a much better job of conveying, um, first of all, they did a much better job of conveying some of the things, like, the politics between the families. But at the same time, like, I was so confused. Space travel requires spice. And I saw these huge ships, And then I did the research, and it's, like, Oh, they don't use machines because there was an AI right. technique. And that like was one of the to me, I think one of the most untapped storylines in Star Wars is the AI potential. But like, and that I was so interested in that story. But but once I understood that and that the spice was all about human potential, I really liked it. And then what kind of stood out to me, and this was something that again, I saw this film and knew it, even then, knew it again came after Star Wars, but I didn't realize the book was written before. And there's so many ideas borrowed from these concepts that were so much clearer to me now uh first are those priestesses like to me those are so clearly the the jedi as well as the a sedai in the wheel of time series which is about to be released on uh, amazon like that's a very popular one for fantasy readers and they're also like the maesters in game of thrones like it's just very and then i realized how much those three like how much fantasy and science science fiction that i love and watch and and a huge fan of how much of it's borrowed from these concepts. I will say this though, much better execution and delivery of these concepts in later <laughs> stories in my opinion. It's just very dry. Yeah. Villain Wave does a better job of bringing a lot of the concepts to life here, but there's it's still very dry and to your point, there's still a lot missing. Like there's still like a lot of questions and like the one thing for me like they there's still a lot missing. And sorry, that was I took you off that initial path, but you were talking about some of the things that needed to be filled in. Yeah, no, like, you're totally right. The the stuff about
1: the spice, like, I would have preferred a little more exposition on the spice and how that worked with, like, interstellar travel and how it, you know, I I thought there was going to be more scenes with just, like, people, like, hallucinating on spice and then, like, talking about, you know, space travel or something like that. And they, they don't really dive into that that much in the movie. And so... I mean, I think Villanueva had to pick and choose what exactly he was going to explain because it is such like a large world and it's so in depth in a lot of different areas. But that was definitely one of the things I I would have liked a little bit more. You know, I try to judge movies on like what's inside the movie and is this movie like understandable with the concepts that they present. And it it did feel like at times that like you did need a little bit of background knowledge from outside the movie to kind of fully understand everything. And so I think I would like deduct a few points just for that reason because it's like. If you just watch this movie on its own i don't think you're gonna understand why spice correlates to like space travel it's just it's just not like fully explained in my opinion and it's also i mean i mean yeah the the whole thing about the ai like you know them outlawing it and defeating them like five thousand years in the past or something they don't really dive into that and it's i mean i don't want a movie full of exposition like i wanted to to move forward and stuff i would actually say if anything there was a little bit too much exposition especially in the first 30 minutes like I might have started the movie already on that desert planet, the whole kind of preamble uh, on that other planet with Oscar Isaac and kind of Timothy Chalamet, like walking around in in the fields. I don't know if I needed quite as much as that as I would have preferred more like explanation about like the spice and and time travel and AI and and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, again, Villanueva is kind of picking his spots. And it did seem like he wanted to tell a story that was more intertwined with like (laughs) family and fathers and sons and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I I give him credit. It's, like I said, it's much more understandable and followable than like what the, the David Lynch movie is completely incomprehensible. And so I think for a long time, that was like a touchstone for a lot of people with Dune. And it's a poor representation of like what the book actually is for various. I mean, I think Lynch was the wrong director for that movie. And like you said, it was just kind of con production hell.
0: But this I didn't even know his parents were in the first movie. So clearly I didn't even know the relationship, but he definitely does a much better job not only establishing those. And I think the, those the thematic there's more thematic elements between those relationships. The the regret between the father and, and the wife about not being married, but there's also still that tension about him not fully trusting her. And then there right. is the also those dynamics between the son. One his he and his father, he 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 is it's not like a real fight, but there's some conflict between him and his father, him saying he might not want to leave the house. And the dad does the good dad thing and says, if that's what I thought once too, and if that's your path, that's fine, which I love. And I don't remember I thought that was great. And that really made his death, it, it gave me an emotional attachment there to the dad and that relationship that I thought really worked. Uh and then you also have this relationship with the mom, which is still conflicted. But I like it. Like I like you don't feel like you don't know if you trust the mom, but it also sounds like the mom might have Disobeyed her priestesses by training the son, and it sounds like no one really trusts the mom. That she is probably, and by all accounts, she's doing everything right. So I I just really like those characters more. They're a lot more. There was a little more substance there, and it was interesting. I like those dynamics between them. There's definitely the the relationships between the characters is much like established much better
1: than it was in the lynch movie <laughs> i guess we shouldn't compare it the entire time but
0: uh, i mean you're right i don't i don't even remember his
1: parents being in that movie i would not i couldn't even correlate most of the characters to that movie you know like the um the jason momoa character um who you know i like for the most part but it was like i didn't know even know that he was in the other movie and so he was an interesting character the josh Brolin character as well i it was a little bit one note but it was also I mean, it's nice to see Brolin kind of throwing his weight around at times. I also wasn't sure, did Brolin die in that battle? They never really show his death.
0: I wasn't sure if he kind of like is consumed in the flames or like, does he make it out in the second act or something? So what little I remember from the film, I believe Patrick Stewart survives the like ambush and is with him at the end. And I believe that Brolin is Stewart's character so okay. i think he's going to survive um I, there has to be some survivors of Atreides for him to, to lead, right so, so. My, my hope is he's there and yeah to me i liked i mean you hit it on the head he's one note he's a stock character but he's filling that stock out well like he's yeah. he's got the physical presence um and momoa is duncan i love him to me well, after seeing this um, i couldn't help but wonder why isn't momoa some swashbuckler pilot in Star Wars. He, I yeah. got such yeah, a, can see that too. like it gave me like tones of Han Solo without being a complete ripoff. And I just, I kept thinking he doesn't need to be a Jedi, but this guy should be in Star Wars. Like I was just, also I love Jason Momoa, So put that I out there. He was a good representative Like, you know, it's like that, that house of Atreides, they need kind of like somebody to symbolize, you know, their, their warrior culture. And I thought he was just kind of a great symbol for like the humanistic, the great warrior, the guy that can still think, but he's also clearly like
1: uh, elite on the battlefield, mm-hmm. but he's not like a monster like the, the other side, I forgot they're, what they're called, mm-hmm. but uh, those people are much more beast-like, where Momoa was very humanistic, but also like portrayed this great warrior kind of personification, I, I thought he did a really good job with this part. I actually thought the best performance was the Javier Bardem performance, Um, and he's in the movie for maybe like 10 minutes, I want to say, but... Every time he was on screen, he, I thought he was really kind of stealing it, stealing the screen away from other people.
0: He did a good job. I, I liked him. And he has that presence. Like, he's walking into that room with, I think all the actors we just said, Momoa, all those guys. And he's, and you, he does a great job. The, and uh, I don't want to bash her. I really like Zendaya. But they're in, in similar roles in that they both have not a lot of screen time. And they're being asked to do a lot. And I, I think that Bardem just has a much better presence and is able to pull that across. Whereas where Zendaya, I mean, the Freemen are given very little to do in this. Um, I, I know. I wanted a lot more like Freeman time. Like I wanted to
1: know more about their culture and how they were living. And it's like you don't get a ton of time with them. But like what Bardem gives you was really interesting in that scene and then kind of in the in the third act of the movie. And so, yeah, I mean. It's hard. It's like there are things where you want more, but you realize it's already like a two-hour, two-hour, 45-minute movie or something. And so there's only so much
0: you can put in. But it's like there were things I wanted more of, things I wanted less of. It's It's a hard balancing act, I think, to do this kind of movie. I agree. And as you mentioned, there's going to be some – it's not going to be a perfect movie. I think just it can't be because of the way that they're going to have to just go about it. Like, just given the amount of material they're trying to put on. But from what – I'll say this. It is a much better adaptation – to your point that you said, and it's like head and shoulders above what Lynch did. And I think for the most part they they made many of the right choices. I, I did have a question for you though, um, okay. about the story. So this was one of the biggest things that was lost on me in the first film. And again, I'm not trying to do a comparison, but just like uh, the reason I'm saying that is I didn't realize this was an element in the first film. I thought it was but that I loved in this. I was being confused by the visions, and at the end like the conflicting visions he had with what he was doing. And I, I didn't understand what was happening. And that was one of the things that I had to look up and get some outside information on. But once I understood it, I normally don't like that as we said before, but here it gave me such context. And I really love the concept and idea of it. I, 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 forg- I forgive it. The What I learned was that those visions were fake and that they were trying to lead him to death and that, Or, and the idea was that the Ben Gesserit or those priestesses were sending him, could be sending him false messages. And then the idea to me, like then it's basically to use a parallel. It's Luke Skywalker using the force. And you realize that Palpatine can send him messages through the force, making him think things. Like he can can be tricked. And so the idea that he's got this power that he can't really trust. And so, and then the idea there is that he still needs to rely even though they have spice and all these powers he still just needs to have to be smart and just has to be like he, he can't just only rely on having these abilities other people don't because he can't fully really trust them i just thought it gave a whole element to that power the character the ben jesserit and just the whole unreliable unreliableness of those visions i, I really liked that's,
1: it that's definitely an interesting take on what's visions i hadn't totally considered that like th- those other female characters could kind of be you know filling in some like false um, sort of like prophecies for him inside of those visions my kind of take on it when i was watching the movie um was like I-, I think there's a line somewhere toward the end when he when he is having a vision that like uh it's something akin to like uh taking life is the same as ending your own life or something like that and so i think for like a messiah like figure the idea of like ending somebody else's life and it's kind of like a big deal in that third act when he does finally kill this other guy that it's it, it's similar to killing yourself even though you know he stays alive it's like the, this Christ like figure has taken the life of somebody else and so I, I that was kind of my read on it where it was like he was seeing his own death but it's it's you know in his mind it's kind of like this this uh shouldn't be killing other people but he kind of needs to in that in that last moment and so it's like he kind of uh he sullies his innocence i guess is what i would say when he takes that guy's life
0: i like that i had not considered that aspect but i like that aspect as well i think that also makes a lot of sense um that's the thing where i want to read the book where i would love to hear his that inner monologue and get that real context and the other thing i thought too was there could be an inner monologue of him like maybe that was him trying to decide if he spared him. Like, that's what would happen if he didn't actually try and fall out, kill him, that he would die. I I don't know. It was um, – it's interesting. I did kind of of feel like – let me ask you. I don't
1: know if you felt the same way. And I know they split this movie up into two pieces. Um, There were also times where I definitely thought, like, this should really be a series. Like, this should be a 10-part Netflix series or something like that, and it would be a lot easier to kind of go through it. But I did think the end of it – I mean, it's such an epic movie, and then it kind of ends on this (laughs) – I don't want to say it's a knife fight from like the the, the Michael Jackson video beat it, but it, it kind of reminded me of that a time and it was just like, I felt like for such an epic movie, it was kind of like an odd way for it to culminate on, on that one knife fight at the end. I don't know if you felt the same way, if there needed to be something bigger
0: that, that happened or what what did you kind of think about how they wrap it up? I would agree that I thought it was an interesting choice. I, I've complained on this podcast in the past about some. sometimes there's an issue with spectacle in the third act. And I do like the idea of a more personal, like visceral confrontation or, or climax. At the same time, I think your description of the music video Knife Fight from a Michael Jackson video is pretty appropriate. Also, like, I just don't remember, I it was, the movie's shot so well, but that was, I wasn't blown away by those up, close fight scenes like the Jason Momoa ones, yeah. were pretty good but this is the one thing I will say like I knew they had some shield technology the one thing that I didn't think was a huge improvement over the first one were those knife fights like the Kyle McLaughlin training scene is almost the exact same like it's not that much different and like where I'm going with that is there are a ton of great stunt like we've seen a ton of great action films with great like real hand-to-hand combat like whether it's john wick some of the marvel movies jason Bourne. like what i'm going with this is you can have really cool hand-to-hand action combat scenes with like and what's just missing from this film is that level of choreography it's it's just like the that scene wasn't exciting enough or done well enough i think to really hit on the note they needed to
1: I agree, yeah, and it wasn't like, I didn't think it was a bad scene, like I thought it was interesting, I thought it was more like that should be kind of the end of your second act, maybe, and I, yeah, I would do something a little bit more more of a spectacle to, you know, have a sandworm, swallow some bad guys, or I mean, they do that obviously in the movie, but it's like, I would have done something a little bit bigger toward the end, I mean, I, I kind of get what Bill Naway was trying to do, like you said, it, you know, it's a, bit, it's a much more personal uh, kind of moment for, for that lead character. And so, you know, it's a big moment when he takes that first life. But it just was kind of, to end the movie there, you're right. It, it wasn't the most, like, mind-blowing scene for me. And, and like you said, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of movies with hand-to-hand combat. And I just think it wasn't bad. It, I just thought it was a, a scene that could have been fit in in the second act or something like that.
0: Agreed. And the other thing, too, about that scene that kind of bothered me was the exposition dumps that occur all within a row? And one of the things about the second act, the way it's set up is the first act's pretty slow, setting everything up. And the second act, once right. the attack occurs, it's basically nonstop stop action, yeah. which is good. But the only issue there is for that climax, you I think when you do that, you need to keep building in the second half. So to build and then go to that like smaller personal finale, you need more something, you need time to breathe, and you don't. Yeah. And then on top of that lack of time to breathe you get three quick like pretty big story hits like one oh the mom can't come with us which i mean like not that crazy okay she's gonna challenge him ha 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 a woman can't fight how did you not know that like we didn't even know the custom existed two minutes ago and then it, it just yeah. is like oh that, that then he has to fight oh and you can't he beats him but oh no you can't spare him you have to kill him it's like oh okay so now we have to kill him there's just only oh but he's never yeah. killed anyone before it's like Okay, guys, I've yeah, been watching a two-and-a-half-hour yeah. movie and these three bombs are all dropped on me in, like, five minutes. It's just a lot. I,
1: yeah, I totally Like, mentioned somewhere in the first act that he hasn't killed somebody. You know, that's not a hard thing to drop earlier on. I, I agree. And, like, some of those customs for, for the Freeman, That you know, you could mention before the fight that the, it has to be a fight to the death. And you're right. There, there's some exposition traps there
0: that what, did need to happen. And what I didn't understand, and, again, I know I do this all the time, and nor, I know rewriting. I'm not a writer. It's not – doesn't make for great listening, but the one thing I will say is there was such an easy opportunity to drop that in with a Momoa character when he's doing yeah. the like debriefing, like how, how did you get into them? I had to kill one of them to become a member of the tribe, like that's the only way you can get in. Like, I, and maybe that's yeah. not the politics of the book, and that would mess up something else in the second half of the story that I don't know about. I don't know, but there was so much exposition done in that first hour. You could have dropped in one or two or more of those like and it would have been a drop in the bucket and it would not have been a big deal my guess is that uh, my guess is
1: that they were trying to show that um you know that the timothy shall character he didn't want to kill him And like that that whole thing where he's like do you yield it's like that's the kind of thing that like a very generous messiah like person w- would offer somebody before killing them you know and it's like he's trying to get the guy to yield but it, you're right it's like let the viewer know that this has to be to the death and like yielding isn't an option because when he says that, I'm like, Oh, he, he might've won here. And I'm like, this guy can live and everyone will be happy. And then Bardem's like, ah, you can't do that. You gotta <laughs> kill this guy. Um, another thing that, uh, this kind of bugged me. I, I want to know if it, if, uh, if, it bugged you, um, they kind of do a James Bond thing, uh, in the, in the middle of the second act where they've, um, the bad guys have kind of captured, uh, Timothy Chalamet and his mom And I'm like, oh, they could kill him right now. And then they're like in this helicopter and they're like, oh no, we'll dump him off for the worms to kill him. And you're like, you know, you have them. You can kill it. It's like, you're not a Bond villain. Like when you capture James Bond, you you can
0: kill him. You don't have to set, like give him to the laser sharks or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of my biggest gripes in the whole film. Because the whole idea was that, oh, you you promised the Ben Jesser, right? Where the priestess says, oh, you promised them you wouldn't kill them. Well, I'm not going to kill them. I'm just not going to deliver them alive. It's like... we're not talking yeah, like, about some, on. like, this isn't some grift on the street. You're talking about these high, powerful priestesses. Like, you mean to tell me that they'll just be like, oh, accidents happen? Oh, Baron, it's so you. Like, what a big, like, that was one of the things that that was lost on me. And, again, I don't know if it's something I'm missing or it's going to be addressed in the second film. Like, maybe that will help turn the Ben Gesserit against or ally with them, knowing that the Baron betrayed them. I don't know what it's going to be, so I, I do some of these criticisms I, I'll concede may not be at the end of the second film, but judging this on its own film, that that was one of the things I didn't fully get. I also didn't fully understand why the emperor and the priestesses were all teaming up with the baron to take down Atreides. Like, yeah, that wasn't fully clear to me either. <laughs> and I was talking to someone and someone was explaining to me and there's a few lines about how all the other leaders like houses look to atreides and again I, I haven't read the book i don't understand the politics but if you have the most powerful like i didn't see what the threat was if you had the priestesses who were really influential the baron who controlled basic it would be as if he controlled all of the oil production in, in earth right. he was the most powerful wealthy person outside of the emperor who all of the houses look to for leadership too like with i don't understand why house atreides like and the idea that they, like, are these, it I just have, feels like they it, did it because they're bad. Like, and that, that yeah. feels so lame. That, that, the, I mean, I could understand that they were setting
1: up House of Atreides to kind of fail with the whole, like, you know, that they, they weren't weren't they really able to take over the spice production and they just weren't really prepared for the desert and all the, like, harshness that came with it. But you're right. It's just, like, it wasn't, the, the full politics of everything was not, completely clear to me and again it's a it's a it's an epic movie that's already very long and there's already a lot of exposition on different things and so you kind of have to pick and choose what you're going to fully explain and it's like that was another area that just it didn't make full sense to me why the priestesses and everything were were siding with the baron in order to kind of set up house of atreides to fail it just it it wasn't i mean you're right the, the best i could i could figure out it was that the baron's just a bad dude and he wanted house of atreides to get you know to fail and he was, he was never really going to give up uh, the desert or the spice, you know.
0: Um, but that's I understand where Baron's coming from. And they have a rivalry. Okay. But, the, like, it's the other two elements. Why is the Emperor? Yeah. And also, this is the other thing that didn't make sense to me. It seems like the Baron was the second most powerful person. So, if they're, like, let's say you're the top dog and you've got two rivals. Wouldn't it make sense to team up with the weaker one and go after the stronger rival so you can take would, him out? Be, but, yeah. Again, I mean, I, I'm not Machiavelli here. Like, I have no idea how, how to run a strategic campaign. But I, it was just, and that that in addition to the whole idea that they needed this one person to say, "Oh, this happened," like to get a witness. You need a witness. They gave you the they gave you yeah, the no, planet, no. and all of your people are dead. And oh, boop, the par- barons there again. The emperor's cool with it. No one cares. Like, I'm sorry. How dumb are these other nobles to be like? oh. Oh, the older tradies, like, like happened again. Like, is that, do families just go, like, poof in the night all the time? Like, I just, that was the other thing that was lost on me. It was like, and again, that's probably going to be addressed in the next one. So I'm actually going to, I'll let that slide. But it, as you said, they need to pick and choose. And I yeah. think probably a lot of the reactions are, I mean, they didn't, there wasn't really room in that to to dive into those other politics. So I, I can see that I wipe that gripe from the podcast and just say, I hope it's addressed in the next film. I I agree. How how did you feel
1: about like the, the Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista performances kind of on like that, that evil side of the characters.
0: So you mentioned the bad guys. Yes. The Harkonnens, I think that's what they're called. I love them. I I remember thinking they were so lame and corny in the first one, but Yeah, yeah, I agree. Scarsguard is done really well here, and that's credit to the director and the special effects crew. like everything that yeah. brought him to to life. And I'm sure there's some stunt work of it. really good re- re- really creepy, really scary, really big presence visually, really, really uh, memorable is what
1: I would say. I wasn't totally sure why he could fly or why, like black Goop would heal him, but still <laughs>
0: visually very memorable. so that was one of the cool things that I read about. That was like interesting backstory. Apparently, he used to be really handsome, and you know that you know the main priestess who tests Paul. Right. Yes. Apparently, when she Could was they... young, when she was younger, Stel- Vladimir Harkonnen raped her, oh, and that as a punishment, she put a spell on him that made him fat and ugly, and he became so fat he needed he couldn't walk, and so they put like gravity things into his back. Oh, interesting. But that's one of the things where I'm like so if anyone can have gravity harnesses in their back why does only one person fly like that like that was one of the technology <laughs> yeah, like, things that, that doesn't make sense to me I, it
1: didn't I, I mean i didn't even know that backstory but i was just like hey the guy's floating that's cool <laughs> like i thought it was just a power i mean i, I didn't know what was going on I uh, you, you mentioned that uh that test scene too i did get some like fight club vibes there where it's like he's got his hand you know with the thing i don't know if there's a if that's a reference in Fight Club that I just always missed, but I did think there were
0: some similarities there. Yeah, it was good. I, and that was a scene I remember, too, from the uh, from the Lynch movie. Yeah, and it was much, much better now. Charlotte Rampling's great. and But the talking about the other villains, I thought yeah. her as that Gaius Helen Moyam, she was good. I mean, I, I didn't full, again, I don't fully understand the motivation, so it's hard, it's hard to be truly memorable. But the Dave Bautista as Glasso and David delmashin as Peter DeVries, I think is the name, is, like, the two henchmen. Right. So good. Like, th- these are just kind of thin characters. Like, they're evil because they're evil, it seems like. And if you're going to do that, you you need to, like – it's a hard performance, and they both deliver. Like, it, I think it helps. Like, Bautista's kind of coming off as just, like, a henchman, but he's, I like his performance. Like, I can feel his rage. Like, he does a good job, but he, he seems more – he seems – He's fitting that stock character well. He's, like, the bad henchman. Yeah. And then David Dalmatian's... Bautista's the right-hand, strong right-hand Dalmatian's... Uh, or, excuse me, I think that's the name. David, P- the other guy, Peter DeVries, right. he's the, like, brain. He's the left-hand. He's the one who's, like, right. the coordinating everything. And I-, I really like them, and I think they did a good job of making the Harkonnens... I thought they were scary, and uh, I thought they did a much better job of making them villain and vi- villains and villainous in this film. I
1: did, yeah, I... I... You know, B- Batista's worked with Villanueva before. He kind of had a small part in that uh, the, the Blade Runner sequel. And both movies, you know, he doesn't have major parts, but I, I think he's, like, he just knows how to use Batista really well, I think. And so I do think he's one of the good uh, sort of like actors that Villanueva kind of has at his disposal. And, that you know, there are definitely times I wanted more of him in the movie and like even the, you know, confrontations between him and some of the other characters. But... Some of the stuff is kind of isolated. Like, most of his scenes are kind of with, with the Baron. And, um, but yeah, I, I thought he was really good in the movie.
0: Do we want to quickly touch on Dennis Villanueva? Sure, yeah, we can talk some I'm old. just curious. I, we don't need to, I mean, we could probably do a full podcast on him alone. So, to kind of streamline it, I'm curious, though. Do you have, like, a favorite film? Or, or would you, like, do you have a top two or three for him? Or is there anyone that stands out for you? Because I really love his work, so. I don't I, 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 not, not need to go through all of them, but I definitely have like one or two of my favorites.
1: I mean, I thought Prisoners was a little too dark. Um, I think Arrival, it, Arrival was not my favorite movie. I, I know that I got some good reviews, but I did not like Arrival. Sicario, I really did enjoy that. So Sicario might be my favorite of his. Um, the Blade Runner sequel I thought was well done. Uh, it didn't quite, it didn't eclipse the original Blade Runner for me, but I did think it was an interesting movie. And I, I thought um, I actually think the best part of the Blade Runner uh, sequel is the score. Um, and I, you know, the, the score was pretty well done in the Dune movie as well. I'd probably have this Dune movie, like, I guess, like on par with that Blade Runner sequel. I think Sicario is my favorite of his movies, though.
0: I would agree with you, and I think we're, we're almost on lockstep on those films. I really like Prisoners, uh, but at the same time, it's a really hard watch, and it's not something I go back to that often. Right, And yeah. I think it, it's uh, – it, anytime you're dealing with kids, it's a fine line. Uh, uh, and I, I think he ultimately does a good job balancing that line of uh, when it comes to that very sensitive subject matter. And at the same time, though, there's a ton of really vicious torture scenes that have nothing to do with kids. That are absolutely brutal, and it's just it's very hard to watch. Um, but Arrival, I liked, but it's a little gimmicky. like once you know, once you know what's happening, it's kind of hard to watch again. Sicario I is my, my favorite. Oh, sorry. I'll say Sicario no, is my favorite. I like okay. Dune and Blade Runner, but they're both good, but like problematic. Like they're just a little too bulky for me to be to be top.
1: I just need to say my thing with the rival. As soon as you're writing on a whiteboard with a sharpie to communicate with aliens, you, you've lost me at that point.
0: I just I couldn't I couldn't get myself to believe what was some of, <laughs> some of the stuff that was happening in that movie. I thought they a game there. of charades would have been really helpful for everyone. <laughs> there were some good elements in that movie, but so the the core stuff were where they're trying to communicate with the aliens, I just couldn't I couldn't swallow it. I liked it when I'm watching when watching it the first time. I it was I enjoyed the film and there's like no action. It's not really a horror. It's just a drama and it's almost just like mystery. And it's really I think it's a tough concept to deliver on. And I thought he did like overall a good job. But yeah, it's hard to sit here. It, it, it spoiler alert. It deals with time travel, which is always I think really tricky. And like it's just so we don't need to we don't need to harp on it, but. I, yeah, we both I like him my two cents in there. yeah we both like him i was just curious where this fell it sounds like we both like this movie kind of falls in the middle of the pack for him for us
1: yeah and i'm also i'm very interested uh in the dune sequel as well as i think he's attached to the cleopatra movie which uh, i know that it's been a long time coming for that movie um i'm I, i'm actually you might find this strange shake i'm a fan of the elizabeth taylor richard burton three-hour uh, Cleopatra movie. I think there's some amazing scenes in there. Um, and so I, I'm actually interested to, to see what Bill and the Wave does, because that's another epic story that's kind of been lost in movie history. And I'm
0: actually a big fan of the original, so I hope he does get some good work with that. Interesting. I've actually never seen it. I've seen parts of it, like on TNC, but I've never actually seen the entirety of it, because I, I just knew it was a flop. So maybe I'll give it a try for you, Seth. It could be, a, it, it could be a future episode. There's some, I mean, Richard Burton
1: Uh, as Mark Antony um, and you know just the whole I'm just a sucker for the whole you know Cleopatra she's with Julius Caesar and then she goes over to Mark Antony and there's all these you know world politics involved I just like the story
0: I'll say this I think it is as a history fan it is one of the most intriguing stories it's one of those stories where you wouldn't believe it were true like you would almost say nah that has to be written I mean she deals with pretty much three of the most powerful Romans ever and Mark Antony Julius Caesar and Octavian. Like though yes, she's exactly. influential. She's critical in all of their careers, as well as others. I'm forgetting. I think she's also helps them defeat Pompeii and like uh Julius Caesar's first two allies who are in the first triumvirate. Like she was influential, and like we're talking like Roman legions, massive naval battles, like world war, like yeah. at the time, the equivalent of world wars occurring over different continents, like with different campaigns, and it was either where I'm going with this, a ton of not only rich there's a ton of drama there and there's a ton of like actual military history not that i expect it to be a military documentary but i'm saying there could be a ton of spectacle and i'm just trying to think of the awesome naval battles that they could it's one of the few stories i think
1: that has some great intrigue between personal characters and also between like nations and it's just like it,
0: it, it's, it's just a—it's a very ripe story in all kinds of aspects. It's also timely. It's also about the overthrow of a democracy. <laughs> like, like that's what's happening. That's what's coinciding with her story. Like, it's the Octavian. It's Julius Caesar being killed, and Octavian then turning it, the Rome, <laughs> stopping democracy, turning it into a dictatorship, and then killing Mark Antony. It's, right. It, it's pretty. It's going to be. There's a ton of potential. I'm super excited for the film. Jolie. Is that it I don't know it's the not on the his Wikipedia right now, so I'm not sure. Um, to me, that, I know at what point she was attached? I don't know. She, I feel like she may have been unattached, though. I'll be honest; I don't. I don't have much confidence with that film. That to me, that sounds like development hell. Like, I, if if yeah, it I, might be. Like that's a film I want to see, but that's going to be like a four hundred million dollar maybe or one. million film or two $200 million films. It's going to be tough, I think. Do you know what would be be great? A a great series. That should be a series.
1: Yeah, that would be. I mean, again, I'm surprised they didn't do Dune as a series, honestly. It's such an epic story with so many different moving parts and different areas that you can really go in deep with. I mean, uh, I'm amazed
0: that, like, Villanueva attempted to do it as a feature film because I just think it it puts a lot of constraints on a story that large. Yeah, I... I think it would have. You add an extra thirty minutes to this film, you split it up into thirty. You can have six, five or six episodes. So I think it was. I I honestly think conceptually, it would have been better suited for that type of, with that type of format. But with that being said, ultimately, I think I'm not going to say this is the best movie version it could have been, but it feels pretty close. I, I think this is like probably one of the best adaptations you can hope for, within those time constraints. It. It also. It did like it made me interested in the second movie and for like a for a movie
1: that's already been split up into two parts the real goal of that first movie is to make the viewer want to see the second movie and i did come out feeling like oh i did want to see what is part two because it's like it really feels like you're going into the desert there's going to be more action with sand worms like hallucinating with the spice and stuff and it's just like it, it does feel like there's there's
0: more on the bone for that second part i, I agreed. and that I like the film. I feel like that's almost a perfect segue into the final score because uh, I like the film, and for me, are you are you ready? Is there anything else you want to talk about before we? Yeah. So for me, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's. No, I think we hit everything. Let's do do final scores. Let's do it. Let's. um... Not perfect. A little long. The first half's a little slow, but with that being said, I really like the characters. Only problem is Timothy Chalamet literally needs to put on weight so he has more of a presence. He is so thin. Uh, But I left this film liking it. I saw it twice. I liked it even more the second time. And I liked, um, I'm excited for the second film. So I liked it. I'm coming in at a 7-2. I'm also giving it a bit of a bump because I saw the Lynch film. And all of those, I kept thinking... I liked a lot of things and i kept thinking about how much better they were than the lynch film so i think it gave it maybe like a five point bump there but yeah seven two is where i'm coming in at
1: that's a fair score um i think i actually uh, i think xiaomi my my brother had a big problem with his performance as well and i I do think maybe he might have been i don't want to say he was the weakest performance in the movie but he did kind of leave me something to be desired um and so i agree i don't want to say he was miscast I don't want to say that he like, you know, played the part wrong, but there was just something kind of missing from that performance for me. Um, maybe, I you know, I, I think what it is for me is like there wasn't really a transformation of the character It didn't feel like he kind of feels like he's still in the same mindset throughout the movie. And he's kind of playing the same character throughout the movie where it's like for a character like that throughout this epic movie, he should be kind of transforming into this more confident, you know, person that, that's, a, you know, grabbing a hold of his powers both physically and mentally and all this kind of stuff and so i didn't feel like that the, the character transformed for, for him throughout the course of the movie um i did think a lot of the other performances were, were very good especially a lot of the supporting characters um uh, i'm probably in like the 6.7 range i give a ton of points just for the, the cinematography the production value um the fact that the story is followable <laughs> as opposed to the lich movie where it's just not followable at all um I, I will, like, my biggest gripes are just there There are things that if you haven't read the book or, or have any context on, you just can't understand wh- why something's, you know, you wouldn't understand why people have shields or why people don't have guns, or you wouldn't understand why this, how or how the spice is used for, like, interstellar space travel, and so some of that stuff is kind of glossed over. There's also that, you know, like you were saying, like, we don't understand all the Freemans Uh, social like culture stuff and and it's kind of just dropped on you when it it becomes uh, convenient to be dropped on you and so some of that you know I think the exposition expositional stuff could have been relayed a little more better and like more smoothly I also thought the first 25 to 30 minutes just it just took a little bit too long for me to get into the movie until I get into that desert world and you know start talking about mining spice and dealing with sandworms and stuff. And so I would have sped up that first 25 minutes and maybe spread out the exposition a little bit more in the end of the first act and the beginning of the second act. So I think I'm coming in at a Um, 6.7. I was definitely kind of like intrigued by the end of the movie and I wanted to see the second movie, but I wasn't sort of like, it didn't kind of reach some sort of pantheon of sci-fi movies for me or anything like
0: that. Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're pretty close there. It's good scratches the itch, but... Not going to write home to mom about it necessarily. Agreed. All right. Dune. Dune is done. We did it, Dune.
1: It
0: was epic. I think it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye. I'm going to go inhale some spice for a little bit, okay? (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Au revoir, my friend. right.